Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Good morning, church. You just saw me on the screen. I'm a movie star, according to Courtney. Uh, It's great to be with y'all. We are continuing a series called Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Lee kicked us off two weeks ago, just kind of opening it up, talking about the difference between fruit of the Spirit versus uh, fruit of the flesh. And uh, Elder Al, as we like to call him, Alan Goddard, kicked off last week talking about the first aspect of this fruit, which is love. And today, I get to talk to you about joy. And if a lot of you know me, I don't think I'm typically associated with joy. I have very dry humor, and I'm not always the most expressive. I've got that face when I'm just sitting there where I look angry, even though I'm not. And so there's some irony that I'm sharing about this today. But I believe we're going to see that the biblical joy isn't always based on an outward expression or an emotional high, but is based on something deeper, more constant, and not something based on necessarily our feelings and context around us. And so to kick us off, I want to read a a passage we're going to read probably every single week And it's just where it's listing out these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. And uh, I kind of have some notes up here just because I've got a lot of verses I want to hit. Because honestly, the Bible talks about joy in a lot of places. And I really want us to cover a full view of what that's all about. So let me turn to there. 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All right. So that's where we're pulling from for this entire series. Paul in in the book of Galatians is explaining to us that there's many aspects when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. And I think sometimes we can talk about this fruit, we imagine an actual piece of fruit, and it can sometimes come across as like an item or a thing that God gives us. But we have to remember the Holy Spirit is a living being. It's a person, and it's dwelling in us. And a lot of times the word dwelling, which I associate with like living in a home, is the way that the Holy Spirit is described. You are a home, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling with you, and you have a relationship with that person. And so think about your homes, your roommates, your kids, your spouses. Think about your home and the fruit that comes from living with those people. For instance, me and Elizabeth have a two-year-old daughter who lives in our house, and with her comes a lot of things, a lot of fruit. We get a lot of crying and pouting. We also get a lot of giggles and fun and silly new discoveries, right? Those are all fruit and outcomes of Lucy Rogers living in our home, dwelling among us. And I don't just get the giggles, but no pouting. 
No, you get the pouting and you get the giggles, right? They both come as a package. You don't just get one part of Lucy dwelling with you, but none of the other parts. You take it all as an entire package because it's a relationship. It's a person. And so in the same way, the Holy Spirit, it's a relationship, it's a person, and you take all the fruit with it. You don't just get to pick and choose and say, I'd love some joy, but I don't want to show any patience. Does that make sense? You take it all with the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's just something I want us to keep in mind when we're talking about this. I want us to remember when we're talking about joy or love that this is based off of a relationship that you're interacting with because you're dwelling with someone and there are, and there are outcomes, there are consequences of dwelling with that person. And so that's really important for us to understand as we continue looking at this. And so Alan, last week I said he shared about love and he said in order to understand love, we had to look at God and discover how he loves. Look at the way in which he loves and base our love on that. In 1 John 4.19, I've got that inscribed on the inside of my wedding band, but it applies to every type of love. We love because he first loved us. That's how you know what love is. As a believer, true, real, God-given love, the only way we know what that is is because God loved you first. And that's how you know what it means to love someone to love your coworker, to love someone you meet at an event, to love someone who's mean to you, to love your kids. That's how we know what true love is. God loved us first, and that's how we base it off of that. And so in the same way, when we look at joy, we need to look at God's joy. And I don't think that's something we often think about, God rejoicing, God being uh, filled with, with joy over something. And so we're going to explore where that joy comes from for God and being made in his image where we can also experience that same joy based on the model that God uh, plants for us. And so I, I said last week, Alan opened up with love, and I, I keep referring to this because what I love about in his message, he defined love for us. And in his definition, and I should have I got us put it up on the screen because I know he put it up on the screen last week. In his definition, you're going to see something that we're going to be talking about today. He defined love this way. Love is the overflow of joy in God, which causes you to sacrificially meet the needs of others by placing their interest and well-being above your own. The beginning of that definition is love is the overflow of joy in God. I was like, oh man, thanks, Alan. You set me up for a slam dunk here. You literally put joy in your definition for love. Because I'm telling you, if you go search through the Bible and look up all the passages about joy and read and just kind of put them all together and kind of see what does the Bible speak to me about joy, you're going to find it's really hard to separate joy from love and love from joy. There's no way to separate those things. They're intimately united. And Alan, when sharing and teaching about love, couldn't separate that idea either. And so we're going to see how true, unchangeable, unrockable, solid love leads to love, and how true, rock, unchangeable, unrockable joy comes out of that love. So we're going to read from John 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or scroll there. We're going to look at John 15, 8 through 12. And just to give you a little context for this part, we're at the end of the Gospel of John here. And at this point, Jesus has now had the Last Supper with his disciples. 
And from what I can gather, it seems he opened the floor for any kind of questions and final discussions because right after this, he's going to go pray and then get arrested, be beaten and crucified, right? And so this is during the Last Supper. They're just, it's just him and his close disciples hanging out, and he's sharing with them some last tidbits of wisdom and knowledge. And so we're going to look at some of this, and he's, he's going to share with us about love and joy. So... Like I said, John 15, verse 8 through 12. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. This is an important verse. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So you see that intimate connection between love and joy, joy and love? We're gonna keep coming back to this passage a few times today because this will be our main one. But our joy and God's joy seem to be intimately connected right here. If our love starts with God's love, then our joy also begins with God's joy. And all of this works its way out through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. All of these things, and so much, so many times the Bible talks about working out something in your relationship with God, and what it's talking about is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of that relationship and that means and that bridge through which we work those things out. So when we're neglecting the Holy Spirit, we're kind of neglecting that connection with God, that relationship with God to work those things out. And so, real quickly, I just want to hit pause and talk really quick about what does it mean to have the fruit of the Spirit? And I'm going to kind of define it by two things. The first thing is, to have the Holy Spirit, it means to experience God's love and to be saved by Jesus Christ. you got to be saved by Jesus Christ in order to experience the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit. I think of it kind of as like a runway at an airport. You've got to clear the runway before the plane can land. You've got to get the cars and the vehicles and the other planes and the debris out of the way so that the plane can come in for a safe landing. Our salvation is God redeeming us, cleansing us of our sin, clearing the spiritual runway so that the Holy Spirit plane can land um, in this metaphorical airport, <laughs> the spiritual airport of sorts. And then the second thing is, you have to actually participate. You got to walk with the Holy Spirit. You actually got to interact with that relationship. All right, let's say I love Lucy Rogers and she lives in our home. But what if every day I just ignored her when I got home? What if she said, play with me, feed me, snack, snack, snack? She asked for snacks a lot. And I just constantly never fed her and ignored her. One, Elizabeth would get upset with me, and two, I would not have a thriving, happy, good relationship with my daughter, um, especially long term. And so having the Holy Spirit doesn't just mean you've been saved and forgiven. It also means that you have an actual relationship, that you're walking with the Spirit. And these two things, I've got nice little slides if you haven't noticed, I, <laughs> I really enjoy a nice visual. These two things are going to be the lens through which we look at joy, all right? These two things are going to help us understand joy. We're going to look at what being loved and saved by Jesus Christ tells us and teaches us, informs us about joy, 
and what walking in the Spirit informs us and tells us about having and experiencing joy. And so those are kind of the, our, two, our two little uh, things we're going to bounce off of. So yeah, let's start with being saved by Jesus Christ or being experiencing God's love, right? I, I put saved by Jesus because that's the ultimate expression of God's love, but we're really, we're just talking about God's love, receiving his mercy, experiencing his redemption and restoration through his son, Jesus Christ. And as John 15 told us that we looked at a few minutes ago, Jesus' joy is made complete when his love is in us. So Jesus, God experienced joy when his love is in us. So what does that mean? Conveniently, Jesus has a parable about that. In fact, he's got a couple of parables, but we're not going to read all of them. So we're going to look at Luke 15, if you want to turn there. And in this chapter, Luke 15, he actually has three parables that all teach and, and kind of give some different perspectives and different situations. The stories, in a lot of ways, are very different, and they obviously have some fun nuances that teach us and give us some better insight. But they all have to do with the same idea of God loving us and rejoicing through that love. Rejoicing through that love. So let's look at Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So we have this parable about the lost sheep. Then the next two parables are one some of y'all might be familiar with, but if you're not, please go read them after. It's the woman who finds her lost money, and it's the prodigal son, one of the most famous parables of all time. In each one of these stories, ends with some kind of celebration, some kind of rejoicing that takes place at something that was lost being both found and restored. We see this, these relationships of love, of excitement, of rejoicing taking place through something that was lost being restored and loved on. And it's not just rejoicing for the person that was lost, like the sheep or the prodigal son. And it's not just rejoicing for the one who found the thing. The person who finds and has the thing restored to them oftentimes invites others. The father who the son was restored to and the prodigal son invites all the neighbors and all the people who works on their land to come and let's kill the fattened calf and let's have a big party and a big celebration. Here, the, uh, the shepherd finds his lost sheep and he tells everyone, come and rejoice, I found my lost sheep. There's so much excitement that comes in through this love. And most celebrations that we partake in, if you really think about, are us celebrating somebody else, right? You only have one birthday a year, but how many birthdays do you celebrate in a year? Typically, you only graduate high school once, all right? Yesterday, we celebrated two high schoolers celebrating, or graduating. And so there are lots and lots of celebrations throughout our life, and most of the time, they have nothing to do with us. 
but we're experiencing joy and celebrating over that person's accomplishment because we love them, because we care about them. The Rogers have a fun celebration in our household right now where we do a song and a dance when Lucy goes pee-pee uh, on the potty. <laughs> and right now, that's a big milestone, right? Big life milestones we celebrate. And we're probably going to keep dancing and singing over the next few weeks and months as she continues to succeed in this big milestone. Uh, it would be weird, though, if later on, when she's in her 20s, if we still continue to celebrate and dance and sing when she goes pee-pee on the potty, we probably won't do that. But right now, that's a big milestone, and so we celebrate that with her. And so we see in the stories that God is filled with joy when he loves us. And not necessarily even when we respond to his love. It's just when he loves us, when he seeks us out, when he, when he grabs us and pulls us to safety, when he rescues us, when he restores us, he experiences great joy. I love the detail that Jesus shares in there. All right, so the shepherd, he's going and looking. How, how long did he look? Was it a few minutes or was it probably hours? Did he have to walk for a really long time across the, across the countryside? He had to leave his other 99. Is he stressed that one of them's gonna wander away? There's so many elements there, but it says when he picks up this dirty, stinky sheep, right? All the cartoons and the kids' books, the sheep look perfectly white and clean. They weren't. They were gross. They smelled bad. They were covered in stuff we won't talk about, all right? But it says he joyfully picked up the sheep and put it on his shoulders and then carried it, what, a mile back to the other sheep? He joyfully served that sheep. He joyfully picked it up and put it on his shoulders and, and, and loved it in that way. That's the way that God loves us. That's the way God cares about us, and he experiences joy in that. All right? Well, also, when you are loved on by God, is that not joyful? Doesn't, don't we all love to be loved by family members, by friends, by significant others? We enjoy love. We love love, and that's wonderful. We experience joy through that. Psalm 16, which Deacon Courtney read for us earlier, talks about this idea of how God's love isn't just fleeting emotional love. It is this unending, constantly seeking you out, always chasing you, always serving you, always protecting you, un un unending, unchanging love. And that's something our joy of being loved on can be built upon. It doesn't change or stop because of different circumstances. Whether those things are outside your control or dumb things we do, his love is nonstop, it's non-changing, and it's something we can depend on. We can rest on it and be filled with joy because of that. If the love is unchanging, then our joy can be unchanging. If the love isn't going to abandon us or leave us, if God's love is going to stay constant, then your joy never has to be abandoned it can stay constant. And so through God's love, through his son, Jesus saving us, we have constant joy built in there. And according to John 15, this love leads to our joy, and our joy is made complete when we're resting in that love. Uh, I kind of think of it as um, if anyone really into sporting events, I know there's a few Georgia football fans out here, I'm told. Um, 
And you might not be this type of person, but I know a lot of these people, my wife is one of them, where throughout the entire game, they're just nervous. They're biting their nails. They need to go on a walk. They can't look at the screen anymore. They're about to kick a field goal, and she's got to cover her eyes and doesn't want to watch, all right? And I know a number of y'all. I'm looking at some faces. I know some of y'all who are the same exact way. A couple of y'all even text Elizabeth about how much you're stressed about the football game, right? But there comes a point in the game, it might, not, it might be when the clock runs out, but it might also be when a, a, a certain amount of point threshold gets reached, or even there's a point in the game when there's only a couple of minutes left and a play happens that everyone's like, the game is over, right? We know the game is over. In football, there's literally something called a victory formation, and it means we all know who won the game, let's just get in formation and wrap this thing up and run the clock out right? There's a moment when the relief comes and you can just relax. I remember there was a point in the national championship. I don't, I don't, I'm not positive when. It was pretty early on when I said, I think I can relax in this game and just watch and enjoy it. There's something about when you know God's love is secure, the victory is won, nothing's going to change doesn't matter what the enemy has in store, what someone else has in store, tries to manipulate or do or challenge, whatever life throws at you, you know that it's, it's established, that love and that security of your salvation, of your relationship with God, of your eternal life, that that is established. And our joy gets to be based off of that perspective, on that thing, right? Um, your joy isn't based on some kind of changing uh, opinions of the time. It's not based on day-to-day victories or day-to-day failures or year-to-year failures or things that sprung up on us uh, in, in unexpected ways. But it's based on who your eternal identity is in God, what your I- eternal reality is in Jesus Christ. When you're saved, when you're believed, you have a whole different perspective on what your life has in store now, 10 years, 50 years, 1,000 years into the future, a whole different perspective. And that needs to be the reality you're thinking about when you're thinking about these things coming your way. That's what your joy really needs to be based on. On me and Elizabeth's wedding day, well, before our wedding day, we stressed and toiled and tried to figure out every little detail, just scrambling to get every little detail done, right? Because you you really want the day to be lovely and wonderful and things like that. And so you try to get all those little details right. But then when the day actually comes, we said, we're not stressing about it anymore. Any problems that arise, that can be somebody else's problems. We had this giant cross that my dad built for us, and we had this big, beautiful bouquet attached to it, And this was an outdoor wedding, and I guess a gust of wind came through and blew that thing over, and it smashed on the ground, and it destroyed a lot of the flowers. And, you know, I find out about that, and I'm like, oh, well, whatever. Stick it back up. Throw the flowers on there. Make it look as good as you can. Uh, I don't really care, because guess what? Today I'm getting married to my bride, all right? The caterer called us and said, hey, guess what? Payment didn't come through. What are you going to do? Because we're not bringing food unless we get the payment. And I said, okay, uh, here, take this credit card. Put it on there. I'll figure it out later. I don't care. I'm marrying Elizabeth Holmes today, and that's really all I care about. Uh, we had wedding crashers show up, right? And I don't know if you know, like, you're like counting every plate 
You know, you're like, oh gosh, we got to feed everyone here. Wedding crashers showed up, but I said, who cares? Feed them. I don't care. I don't want to think about it. Let them have fun because today I'm marrying my bride, Elizabeth. Uh, Our limo didn't show up. They got lost. Didn't know where they were. We were ready to leave. No biggie. We'll just grab someone's car. In fact, that person's sitting right here. Uh, And we got in their car because I didn't care. I had just gotten married to Elizabeth Rogers. Every problem, every hiccup, every stumbling block, everything that came up that could go wrong and went wrong, it just paled in comparison to the fact I was marrying my bride. This is what a relationship with God looks like. This is what it looks like to be saved by Jesus and to, ha- and to have the Holy Spirit inside you. Everything really just needs to pale in comparison. And is that easy? No, because it's a relationship, remember? It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Is, is, are things always easy with me and Lucy? in the house? No, right? You and your roommates, you and your friends, you and your kids, your spouse, is it always easy? No, but you keep walking through, you keep loving each other, you keep working through it, and you, and you find a way to love. And so tough time strikes, I'm not ignoring that, disappointments hit, painful decisions come up, and those are hard, and those are tough, but you can still have joy in those because you've been saved you've been redeemed, you have an intimate relationship with God, you're filled with his spirit, and you have him on your side. It's not hopeless. Any situation that arises, it's not hopeless. There are things that are secured in God, and you have overcome these things through Christ, and the truth and reality of that fact is so much bigger than all the bad stuff. So those are the the two ways in which we learn about joy through God's love and through being saved by Jesus. God has joy through loving us and serving us, and we get to have joy through experiencing God's love in that way. Now let's talk about walking in God's Spirit, the second part of what it means to have the Holy Spirit. Let's go back and read John 15 one more time. Just looking at verse 11 and 12. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we are made in God's image, every single person. We're all made in God's image. And some of us aren't just made in his image. We have his spirit inside of us. If you've been saved and filled with his Holy Spirit, that means you have the same stuff that makes up who God is in in you as, as an image bearer of God and as a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. His same stuff that makes him work, that 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 determines who he is and, and how he behaves and how he responds, that same joy that makes up who he is and that same love is built into you. And so we see that loving and serving us fills God with joy. Well, being made in his image. Loving and serving others fills us with joy. I think this is the most practical thing in my entire message, all right? The Bible talks about this time and time again. It comes up over and over. Your joy can be made complete simply by following Jesus' example and following his command to love others. And we know what love is now because Pastor Al talked about it last week. It's about laying down your life, sacrificing, loving people in that manner. 
And I, I don't think this is just a biblical idea. I, I find it comes up a lot in secular areas too. In a lot of movies and TV shows, there'll be this kind of idea that, oh, being selfish, right? Being a Scrooge and keeping everything for yourself does not lead to joy, but actually giving and loving others. I don't think that's because it's just like common wisdom. I think that's just because we're humans made in the image of God, and whether you believe in God or not, you've seen that that's just a reality. That's just the way you're made, the same way you've seen if I eat food, it fills my tummy and I have energy, right? I say tummy now because <laughs> I'm a dad. Right? There's, there's, there's common sayings, it's better to give than to receive. There's so many others. You can like, look up just these common like, little proverbs, modern proverbs of things. And so we see this idea come up over and over because it's just the way we're wired. And yet so often, even though we all know it, we all know that real, lasting joy can come from loving and giving, not taking and making everything about us. When we try to find joy, when we try to find joy, real joy, we oftentimes look by uh, trying to fill the void. We try to find something else to, to give us that joy, and we use other methods. And so much of these methods just kind of focus on me, 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 what I can do for me. I enjoy a personal day. I think self-care is good. Right? I actually think there's a biblical model for self-care in the Sabbath, right? That's, that's holy rest, okay? And so I think that's really good. But I think we can all agree, if you took 100 self-care days, that's never gonna give you any kind of real lasting joy. If you spend 100 days just focusing on me, 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 are you really going to be happy and filled with this type of joy that we keep describing, this godly biblical joy? No, oftentimes when we just focus on us, 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 it actually makes us less happy, right? It, it actually hurts us. I kind of think of this in the way of my back pain. Hey, let me hear you. Any guys out there with some chronic lower back pain? Yeah. <laughs> no one raised their hand, but it's like I, I know like half of y'all do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've got this chronic lower back pain, and every now and then I can tweak it when I'm like playing basketball with the youth boys, all right? I'm out there with these kiddos playing basketball, and I can, I can tweak it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The next week, I'm like, don't pass me the ball. I'm just going to shoot from the outside. Nobody get near me. Don't touch me. I don't want to hurt it worse than it already is. And so that can happen sometimes, but I've actually noticed that the majority of the time when I tweak my lower back or hurt it, and I've been to a chiropractor. Um, all right, I was looking for Dr. Chris Lammer to see if he was in the room. Yeah, there he is. Um, I've, I've been to a chiropractor. I've got a slightly herniated or bulging disc or something like that. Um, and it's one of those things that with like some physical therapy and stretching and exercises, I can manage, right? And the thing that typically causes it to flare up and causes the pain isn't playing basketball or doing the like high-end physical activities or, or lifting stuff, because I've learned you got to lift with the knees, right? It's not those things. It's actually when I sit at like an, in an office chair at a desk for too long. I just spend a day sitting at a desk typing up a bunch of stuff, like a sermon or something. Or I, you know, I take a me day and I rest on the couch and I'm, I'm watching some TV with my bride, all right? And you just chill and you watch a movie or binge watch something on the weekends or something. And it's usually after I've spent a lot of time 
not doing anything very physical is when it flares up the most. You would think that'd be the opposite. I'm just chilling and relaxing. I'm just sitting here. I shouldn't be hurting my back. I should be hurting my back when I was like moving all of that stuff in and out of the car or, or running around or things. But it's actually when I'm just sitting still. When I actually am active, when I'm, I'm working on my core works out and doing my crunches and my planks and I'm doing all my stretches, you know, that's when I'm, I'm experiencing a lot less back pain. You know, is that funny? <laughs> No, shouldn't do motions. Um, it's when I'm actually doing the work, I experience less back pain. It's when I'm resting and focusing on just chilling that I experience the back pain. When we're focusing on just us, 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 me, 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 just rest, rest, rest. I don't want, I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to deal with people. That's when your joy meter actually goes down. It's when you're investing in someone else's life, you're loving on other people, you're sacrificing, you're caring. You would think, that's not gonna bring me joy, that's gonna wear me out. But it's actually the way God has made us. That's where real joy can come from. And that's why I'm saying this is the most practical part of my sermon. Are you struggling finding joy? Don't focus so much on yourself. Start caring and loving on other people. The same model that Jesus told us that he gave us. And so that's the first part. Walking in God's spirit just be like God. Do what he did. Love and serve others to experience joy. And then the second part is you can be a part of completing someone else's joy. When they love and serve you, the way you respond to that actually can enhance and complete their joy. Paul talks about this in a lot of his letters he writes to churches. He says, you can complete my joy if this. You can complete my joy if that. We'll actually look at one really quick in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. It says this, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Stop. I, if I read that, I would think he's going to say something about, I don't know, the Holy Spirit or Jesus dying on the cross or something like that. But that's obviously a given. He says, Is it not you? Indeed, you, fellow church members, fellow believers, those who have responded to the calling of Jesus Christ, indeed, you are our glory and our joy. The people that Paul has sacrificed for, that he's loved, that he's instructed, that he's poured so much of his life and heart into, he says, are going to be my joy. Watching them respond to the loving grace of God through Jesus Christ, watching them start walking in the Holy Spirit, that's where Paul says, you're going to complete my joy in that way. And so that's kind of our, 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 our final way in which we're gonna kind of wrap up those uh, four major points. Um, with Lucy, every now and then, she's playing with something, she's kind of you know, getting a little wild and crazy, and she might let it go. Or I taught her to throw really early, but I didn't teach her to throw soft things. So anything is now a fun thing to throw, and she might throw it at us. And so you gotta always be ready and on guard to dodge them. And I think I've gotten really good at that. Elizabeth's taken a few nicks to the eye. She's dangerous, y'all, okay? But <laughs> over time, we've talked to her about it. And I think for a long time there, she didn't have a clue what we were saying. She didn't have a clue what we were talking about. And, I, and I, we kind of realized that. I think we saw it more as like exercise for us to be good parents. Like, 
talk to them, discipline them, even though she doesn't quite understand it yet. But she's two now, and every now and then it's starting to seem like she's starting to get it, right? We'll have a talk with her, and she's like, oh, this is serious. And she'll say, I'm sorry, mama, and go give a hug. And it's really sweet and cute. And even a couple of times now, she'll do something, and we're like, and, and she'll immediately say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and like hug and go boo-boo, boo-boo, and she wants to kiss the boo-boos, and it's just precious, right? And that, in a way, completes my joy, because I get joy from loving her, right, sacrificing for her, instructing her and teaching her, but also the joy gets completed when you start to see the outcomes of that love and that instruction in the same way. Mind you, a day later, I'm putting on her shirt, and she smacks me in the face, and I say, no, Lucy, and talk to her really sternly about, that was mean, you give daddy a boo-boo, and she giggled and giggled and thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and so we still have a long way, and my joy has not been fully completed yet. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about. Now, that, now that's going to complete someone else's joy. That's not going to necessarily give you joy, Right? Um, when you show love and appreciation towards somebody else loving and appreciating you. But if we as a church body, is we as the universal church want to see more joy in our church and see people thriving in their relationship with the Holy Spirit, we can be a part of completing people's joy by responding in a positive way to the way that other believers love on us, serve us, care for us, correct us, instruct us, um, any type of things, and where they're caring and loving and pouring into us. And so I hope today you've seen Holy Spirit, right? What we mean by having the Holy Spirit is experiencing God's love and grace through Jesus Christ, but also the second half is you got to actually interact with that relationship, with that person, the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside you and walking in that Spirit. And there's two ways in under each category where we can learn and experience more joy. We see that God experiences joy through loving us and that through that constant unchanging love, we can rest our joy in that. And that joy can't be changed or rocked because God's love never gets changed or rocked. Then on the other hand, walking in the spirit, if we're gonna walk in the spirit, if we're gonna be like God, if we're made of the same stuff as him, then when we love and serve others like he loved and served us, we get to experience the same joy that he does. And then that same joy that you're experiencing, you can complete it in others by responding to the way that they love and show you love. So as, as Alan said, love is the overflow of joy in God, and joy is the reaction to acts of love. This is joy, the fruit from having the Holy Spirit dwell in us, and this is how we can experience more of it. And I and these are the, just the two practical ways. Rejoice in God's stable, unending love. You want more joy in your life? Rejoice in that love that's not gonna change. It's never gonna change. He loves you all the time, no matter what. And then the second thing, you can experience joy through loving others. That's just two really practical ways that you can start interacting with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and start experiencing more joy in your life now. I just wanna end by reading Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 4. I don't even know if that's gonna be on the screen. But I think it just wraps everything up so neatly. And then I'll, I'll, I'll close this in prayer and we'll have worship. Paul says to the Philippians, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. That is how we have joy. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your son, which led to the gift of your Holy Spirit. Man, it is incredible that we get to dwell with you, that we get to walk with you, that we get to know you and be loved by you intimately in such a special and powerful way. And I thank you for the model that you have set, that the stuff that makes up your joy through loving others is built into us, that we can so easily experience that same incredible spiritual, biblical, powerful joy just through doing the same simple acts that you do of loving and serving others. We're so thankful that none of that can change, that your love will never change, and nothing can get in the way of us choosing to love others. And so, Father, I just pray that more and more of us would experience your fruit in all of the aspects that come with it, from love and joy to all the others that we're gonna be looking at this summer. And I just pray, Father, that um, you would just open up a door there uh, for each of us to really experience it in a new and special way. 